Um, as you can tell, I'm a little wet behind the ears, so uh, we're going to pray. That is the one thing that's going to help me if it doesn't help you. So, and since it's faith-based, we'll just go ahead. Um, ready? In Jesus' name. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We pray um, for your guidance, for your mercies, your goodness. I pray over this session. I pray that you help me um, instill what it is that you have for each one of us, Lord, regarding mental health. And I pray your blessings over this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Today uh, we're going to speak about mental stigma and creating a caring congregation. So... Um, First of all, we're gonna, I'm going to get everybody to place their hands. Um, put your papers down and um, cup your hands over your face like this. And then just look forward. Um, you, won't, you can't see your neighbor. <clears throat> you can't. Um, and so... I'm going to come back to that later. All right. Many adults who think they suffer, the magnitude of mental illness in this country is staggering. There's no particular age group, no level of economics, no social standing is immune to the biting fangs of guilt. Uh, it's no respecter of age gender, education, or spiritual belief. The church is not immune. As it occurs, um, it's the same rate as inside the church as outside the church. And so it's important to understand the issues on mental health. The illnesses of the brain affect us all. So... Almost half of adults in the United States suffer at some time during their lifetime. 46.4%. That's a lot. Nearly one in six Californians, adults, suffer from mental health. And approximately one in 20 suffer from a serious mental illness that they cannot even carry out their daily activities. The rate among children is even higher. It's 1 in 13. And they suffer from mental illness. Um, children, my... Uh, and Sister Scott was talking about um, children in suicide. My nephew just told me, six months ago, oh yeah, and almost nonchalant, oh yeah, last year, eight of my friends committed suicide. And I'm like, what? Eight of your friends? What that mean in your local area, Lemon Grove? Um, so over 40% of Americans seeking help with mental issues, they first come to their priests, their minister, or their rabbis. 
people of mental problems, they're our neighbors, they're members of our congregation, they're members of our family, and they're our co-workers. They're everywhere in this country. The U.S. Surgeon General identified stigma against mental illness as a major barrier to our public health, causing many uh, to needlessly suffer in silence rather than to seek care. Stigma in the church does the same. The faith community needs to overcome stigma with the truth in order to alleviate the suffering and to save lives. So, what does stigma look like? Who suffers? What are the myths? Stigma can be defined as a set of negative and often unfair beliefs that people um, have about the subject or the topic. So stigma is born out of fear and misinformation. Stop and think for a minute. What perception of people who suffer, what is their perception? And I gave you that um, paper prior to this to see what you thought about it. There may be some of you in the session today that may have not wanted to come you have, may not want to have lived even today. And you thought that this morning. It's not so uncommon as you think. We all bring our personal perspectives to our understanding of mental illness. Many of them are based on misinformation and the picture that the media paints. But like Sister Scott and I said, we all bring our own personal story as well. So what do you think mental illness looks like? Who fits your image of someone who is mentally ill? The bright young professional man in your office? The soccer mom next door? The homeless man you pass every day on your way to work? the cheerleader with the uh, 4.0 grade point average? Or do we all think of Jack Nicholson and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? The truth is you cannot tell by looking at someone and know that they have a mental illness. Not all people who look happy are happy. And not all people that look sad are sad. So keep in mind, as you cannot tell somebody with a heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, just by looking at them, you can't tell that somebody has a mental illness or depression. Mental illness is an illness like any other, and you can't tell just by looking at them that they suffer with that. So let's see who suffers. I have a few pictures here of people that you may know. <laughs> and I placed their picture there so that you can see the reality of it. These people are similar looking to the ones I know personally who have suffered. 
in the past. So I'm going to give you a brief scenario of their experience. Look at the picture of the new bride and her husband. They look so happy. She doesn't know that her husband has been hiding things. She has no idea that her husband struggles with depression to the point of being suicidal. They get married, and after one year, it goes haywire. He goes his way, she goes her way. He tries to live it up. He buys several fast cars and motorcycles and becomes daring. At the end, he ends up shooting himself at the age of 21. She is now isolated and fearful. She's devastated. Then you have the new mom. The new mom who faithfully attends Bible studies, maybe she's a Sunday school teacher. You know, women have a higher risk of having depression after childbirth. They feel insecure and ugly. Do you realize that their world is falling apart? And while she goes, she's looking for places when, she, um, when she's on the road driving. How can I have that single car crash? But do you know she doesn't, she's a mom now. And so she also wants to take the life of her children with her. So then you have, and you've heard it in the media of women committing suicide, but they also take their children along with them. Um, they feel hopeless. Women alike that are older suffer menopause. They're changing. They want to look their best, like the lady that Sister Scott spoke about. Um, they struggle now because they're getting older. Their hair's falling out. Their, their body's changing. You know, they're not youthful anymore. They have to compete with other people. They feel that way inside. They don't, um, sometimes people will say, I'm going to grow with grace or, but it's not always the case to grow with grace. And so women have a higher risk of having depression in childbirth and in menopause. Um, could it be the successful professional man that is losing sleep by working overtime? And I put Brother Wilson, doesn't it look like the professional man right there? And he's trying to please everyone. He's trying to get ahead. But nobody knows in the background. Is he having uh, marital problems, physical problems? People may lack social support. They feel isolated when they bury their um, self in work. It's just work. They're married to their work. And then all of a sudden, they're making money, they're working hard, and abruptly, they stop 
And nobody knows why, because it's eating them inside. I was speaking to somebody that was a professional and telling them that I was going to speak um, at this conference, and they were asking me about it. And, and as I was speaking, they were sitting there like this, and I could tell they were thinking about their own issues. I was like, wow, you know, um, it's really important to talk about it. Then we have the cheerleader. Oh, she's not on there, but she's popular. She broke her leg and now had surgery and is bedridden. Her friends see her because she's so popular. They come and see her often. Hey, what's going on? Pretty soon it starts dwindling down, right? Her friends are no longer there. And so since she's hurting because she broke her leg, she has her medication right there. Okay, well, I'm going to take more, and I'm going to take more, and I'm going to take more. And she starts medicating herself, not only for the pain, but the pain inside to suppress the loneliness and the pain that she's experiencing. Once popular, so they wouldn't think that she would be facing those challenges. Um, so somebody comes in time, her mother comes in time and sees all the medication all over the floor and saves her. How about the young boy that's being bullied at school or being abused by an adult? He's too shameful to tell anybody he thinks it's his fault. He goes from place to place, foster care to foster care to foster care. And he doesn't realize that, um, and nobody else realizes it, that he just wants to end his life. He's trying to cut himself, to do anything, because after all, well, where's his parents? They probably don't like me. These people that are saying they love me and are abusing me, that doesn't make sense. They're hurting me. He becomes a bully himself. And so he also is on the verge of depression and mental health. How about the homeless? Would you think it's the homeless that has issues? They too. Sometimes they just want to straight, stay drunk so that they don't feel the pain. They lack medical attention. They face poverty. And so sometimes we look at them and say, well, we don't want to give them a dollar because they're just going to go get a drink. But they want to stay drunk because if they stay drunk, they don't have to worry about where their next meal is, where they're going to sleep because they just stay in that deep depression. Then you have the pastors who face the demands of the congregation. His anxieties as well can cause problems. He is sleep deprived. He's, his energy starts decreasing. 
he gets fatigued, right? We heard the statistics that Brother Wilson was giving us today about just three that we know of that are popular, four in California, because they um, are also, nobody's immune to this, these issues that we go through in life. Um, and we have, lastly, those comedians. They make you laugh, right? They, they try to get you to laugh so you don't focus on them. They put that mask on that makes them smile so you don't see the frown underneath. And um, they're dealing with their own things. Just like, who was it, um, Robin Williams, he's the one that I remember the most that made so many people laugh, so many movies and all that. And he, um, but he had his own issues, his own relationships were probably being separated and um, issues in life that just kind of get us. So remember, people with mental problems are our neighbors our co-workers, people in the congregation, and our family members. But what does the Bible teach us about stigma? In 1 John 9, 1 through 3, the story of the man born blind is a perfect example of fear and misunderstanding in society. The common belief of the day was that sin or righteousness was caused by the man's blindness. What was it? The people questioned Jesus. Why is this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents? Right away they wanted to, <laughs> is it, what happened here? Jesus replied, it was not for either his nor his parents. This happened for the power of God to be shown. That's what, it was, it was for God's glory. So people could know that Jesus heals, Jesus, it doesn't matter what it is. God is a God of love and he's here and full of compassion. The people were asking the wrong questions. Instead of having compassion on the man's condition and asking how they could help the man they focused on why he was blind. On another occasion, Jesus healed a man with advanced case of leprosy. Jesus did the unthinkable. Now, leprosy, you got to realize, they, they were kept outside because they didn't want you to touch them because it was contagious. And so they were like, stand 10 feet away from me because I don't want, you know, I don't want to touch you. But Jesus did the unthinkable. Not just healed him, but he did so by touching him. He not only healed, but restored their dignity as a human. And as a human being in process, because they said he was made whole. And when you have had leprosy, sometimes their ears fell off, their nose fell off. It was like a disease that... Um, was um, made you ugly, you know. 
And today, just as in Jesus' day, stigma marginalizes, degrades, degrades, and dehumanizes people who are different and often suffering. Stigma allows people not to act or to withhold compassion. It keeps people disconnected, and then people continue to live in shame. So, how is stigma causing them to suffer in silence? Because mental illness is often misunderstood and treated differently than a physical illness, families can feel isolated and alone. This may be especially true if they are active in the faith community and feel that they cannot share their struggles. Yet when they find the courage to approach their faith leader, they may feel that they will be met with judgment rather than compassion. Due to ignorance, we may be, say harsh judgments like, you just need to have more faith, you need to pray, you need to be, read the Bible, and you need to get sin out of your life. <laughs> I've heard this. Maybe maybe I've said this, or maybe you've said this, right? But people in church are well aware of stigma in church as well. Let me ask you this. If you had a mental issue yourself, do you believe the churches would welcome you? Or would your church welcome you? You know, it's a no-casserole disease. When people are sick with apparent diseases, it's easier to talk about the physical more than um, the physiological. It's, we blush to that. So what happens when somebody is very ill? We make casserole dishes, right? We sign up. Who's going to make this for... This person, um, who's going to, like in our, we have a list. Okay, you're going to bring, you know, dinner on Monday, and then they're on Tuesday, they're on Friday. But mental is mental illness. It's not a casserole dish. In breaking the silence about the mental illness, you're giving permission to people to share their own stories. Feelings don't have to be true. They just have to be real. Or feelings don't have to be true to be real. Sorry. Shame is a huge component of stigma. Shame needs three things to grow. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. When you start naming the cause of your shame and talking about it with people who have earned the right to hear these stories in your life, it dissipates, right? It's no longer a burden on you. When I share my story with somebody else, it helps a lot. You just need to find the right people or get connected with the right people to, to share your story with. Shame only works when it keeps you in the faults and, belie and beliefs that you are alone. Um. I know somebody that had shame 
and they decided to, um, they had a friend that told them, I don't feel, I don't feel so good. Hey, um, let's go out. Let's go get coffee. A young girl. She was like 17. Her friend was like, let's go do something. And she'd go, okay, okay, we'll do it. But she got busy with her own life. She's 17. She's doing school. She's um, with her parents, going to church. And uh, the friend calls her, you know. But she um, decided that she just kept putting her off, right? Well, the, her friend was desperate. She needed her company. And what she did was committed suicide. And when she heard about it, she felt shame. She herself felt shame because now it, was, it wasn't her fault initially, but her friend just wanted a friend. And so she started feeling alone and shameful, and she couldn't tell anybody. She couldn't tell her parents. She couldn't tell her pastor. She couldn't tell her other friends that she felt shame because she said she committed suicide because of me. That's how she felt. And so what she ended up doing to herself is um, eating and um sticking her finger down her throat when she went to the bathroom, uh, which is purging or binging, right? Uh, you know, she became skinny, skinny, skinny until she was walking bones. That's when her parents were like, whoa, her grandparents were like, at first they were like, oh, you know how kids always like, Oh, I want to get skinny. I want to fit into this. That's what she was playing that card. I want to. So they were overlooking it. But when she started, it was apparent that she was skin and bones. They said, I think there's an issue here. <laughs> so then they had, then they had to come around. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. So then the, it came out. Well, I feel ashamed because my friend that I was supposed to be there for her um, committed suicide and I wasn't there. So she took that and then um, she got better. Fear is another powerful emotion. Families are afraid because mental illness can be unpredictable. Stigma is born out of fear and misinformation and the way to break it down is by truth and by educating people. Everyone experiences fear in their life. There's big fears, little fears that we are unaware. Sometimes we don't even realize it. It's important to understand that fear, what fear is and how it works. Because if we don't, it can keep us from coming to God. And um, God didn't create us like that. Fearful of what we don't know or not understand. Um, fear, what is the opposite of fear? Is faith. So sometimes we don't understand 
what we're fearing. We just are fearful. And um, God wants us to walk by faith. And simply, fear is the opposite of faith. But if we can remember that in Proverbs 27, 23, 7, it says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So fear, as I'm going to use me as an example. So I was hearing these sounds in my ear, and I was like, I would tell my husband, Hey, do you hear that beeping sound? Because I'm a very light sleeper, and I hear everything. So I'm like, okay, somebody's at the door. Okay, somebody's there. And he's like, I have to get up again, you know. And so then I'm, it's all silent, and I hear this. And I'm like, hmm, do you hear that noise? No. And so, so it's going on and on and on for days and weeks. And so I finally say, well, you know what? I probably need to go to the doctor and see what this noise is. So I did. And um, so they tested my hearing. And then she said, well, you know, when you're, do you, have you ever had a hearing test? And I said, no. She goes, well, when you're 50, you're supposed to ha start having a hearing test because at 50, then you start losing like Fs and Ss and all these different sounds. And what you're experiencing is your hearing is trying to hear another sound. They're looking for it. It's like being blind and you're trying to see light. It's like your hearing is trying to hear. And so you're starting to not hear S's that much. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so that's, she's telling me that. And so, and the noise, well, the noise is not going to go away. She says, it's, you're just going to kind of suppress it by other noises or talking or you're going to, it's going to kind of be in the background. I don't want to hear that, but so... I understand now she's, you know, she's kind of saying, I, you know, it can go away like I can watch something. It doesn't bother me. But when I didn't know about it, it did. I didn't know what was going on. So I talked to somebody that was telling me, hey, the, I have my phone and I think that the government is looking for me. And I am, I'm over here and I'm hearing all these things, you know, and I think it's the government. And they're tapping into this and they're tapping into that. And they start saying, they're, you know, they left their house where they live and they became homeless because they were hearing, they were thinking that they were hearing a noise and I said, could it be that you need your hearing checked? <laughs> Had I not experienced that, you know, I wouldn't have, be able to say that. Maybe it's not. Rest assured, the government is in your phone. They're looking here. They are that, yes. But, but. If you're leaving one place to go to another state and then homeless, 
that's not your, you could be just having a hearing problem. So he was fearful of the unknown. He was fearful of the unknown. So when we, we become worried, we become, we run away. We, we don't even know what we're running away from when we're fearful. So um, it's really good. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? We need to meditate on his word. How about the church? What's the church afraid of? Have they bought into the lies, believing myths, and then fear takes over? Do they believe people are violent? The truth is that mentally ill people are two and a half times more actually to be violent, uh, victims of violence. They're not violent. They're victims of violence. People may think that they may scare people away from the church. Well, in extreme cases, they do. But isn't it also true about grumpy people? How about when they talk about ties? Does that scare people? <laughs> yes. They feared the unknown like epilepsy. I know when I was growing up, there was a person that uh, I didn't know what they were having because all of a sudden they'd fall over. But I knew in my heart it wasn't like a scary or not like a evil. All of a sudden the brothers would come to him and pick him up and help him. Later on, I knew that they were having an epileptic attack. During uh, depressive episodes, a patient's ideas and thoughts about God can become just as distorted as their worldview. A God they once believed was loving in their depression, regret that they were born, and they feel deserted. There are many factors for mental illness, emotional disorders, those who lack social support, they feel isolated, poverty, lack of access to medical care. Traumatic events happen. They happen to all of us. Losses, traumas, breakdowns. You lose a child. You lose a spouse. It's almost the same as a divorce. It's a traumatic d event. Those things, a separation with it, uh, mom and dad, your, your children. Um, but it, it will affect all of us. Just because you thought, you get a thought, it doesn't mean it's correct. We naturally feel that we think something, that it must be true because it comes within us. So many different suggestions come to our mind. We have to clear our mind because we get many suggestions, especially in the church. You have the devil on one side and the, the angel on the other side, like in those cartoons, and then we have us, and then we have life. That's, we have all, a lot of voices coming to us. We need to watch for them. So, who in your community, who in your community might be struggling with mental issues? 
there are no good words to describe the utter despair and hopelessness associated with depression. Mental illness is like any other. We must break down the stigma surrounding the topics of mental illness in order for people to find help and recovery. If we ignore their cries to, for help, we will continue to participate in the anguish from which these cries of help come from. A problem of this magnitude will not go away. Because it will not go away and because of our spiritual commitments, we are compelled to take action. Maybe you are struggling and you don't know where to turn. The leaders aren't supposed to have these problems. So we think. Barriers of fear Ignorance and stigma are broken down when people take the risk to break the silence and to speak out by sharing their struggles of living with mental illness and by sharing the struggle of living and caring for a family member. Studies show that the first place they go for mental health is not to a loved one, not to a friend, not to a coworker, not to a health care professional, but to a faith leader a pastor or priest. They are often met with judgment rather than compassion. But we need to broaden our vision without fear. We need to be educated. We need to educate our congregation. And we need to care for one another. Hospitality is a core value and literally means extending our hand to another. Right? Not the no casserole dish, but the casserole dish. dish. Touching another and getting close enough to recognize our mutual vulnerability to this thing in life. God asks us to be faithful, to love one another, and to reach out to those who are broken, and to seek justice for all God's people. So it's important for the church to overcome stigma. The church is God's representative in the world to show the true love and grace of Jesus Christ. Creating grace-filled congregation will relieve suffering, reveal the grace of God, and restore hope. Jesus clearly stated that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Every church, no matter the size, can break down stigma and make everyone feel welcome. Talking about in conversation and in sermons and using appropriate speakers. We um, had a discussion in our um, small group because... Um, our pastor recently spoke about mind monsters. We had a nine-week uh, small group, and it talked about people thinking and thinking and how mind monsters take root in our mind. They might not be real, but they take root, and then they get on a train and they keep going. And he was talking about these mind monsters. We can, ha we can have... Um, support groups like that 
Churches and faith communities are excellent sources of connection through small groups, Bible studies, and support groups. Be authentic. Authenticity begins when you start to admit that you are inauthentic. We all have blind spots and frequently make snap judgments. We fail to notice important details. We all have more background biases than we realize. We jump to conclusions. Prayer, scripture, and faith are powerful tools of encouragement for individuals. We know that support from the family members, friends, and a person's community of faith are very important to treatment and recovery. A supportive faith community can model God's unconditional love by assuring the person that he or she is not alone in the midst of personal darkness. So, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So the one thing I want to leave you with today in this session is what you did in the beginning is we had stigma, it's tunnel vision. But compassion is wide. God bless you.